0: Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be teaching out of the Book of Genesis. So, picking back up here in Genesis, of course, we're considering right now is is much of the Book of Genesis, the life of Abraham in chapter 19 that is the account where we considered the destruction of Sodom we considered even as we look in scripture there the the depravity of Sodom and Gomorrah the 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 degree to which they had devolved into sin and uh, the wickedness that existed there in that city and uh, you know we have we have this account where uh, a pre-incarnate form of Jesus comes and, and visits Abraham along with two angels, and, and, and they discuss some things there, and there's a reminder of the promise that God has made to Abraham. And then, and then from there, the angels make their way down into Sodom uh, because the Lord is going to destroy the city. We see there that Abraham pleads for the city, pleads for any who may be righteous in the city. Of course, he is pleading for Lot, and the Lord determines that he will spare those who are righteous in the city, which really boils down to Lot, and not even Lot and all of his family, but only a part of his family. And the the angels make their way into the city, and, and immediately the, the wickedness is evident as the city seeks to um, uh, overtake these angels and, and Lot in his and, th- and this is what's interesting right is that Lot in his awareness of how wicked the city is seeks to protect the angels to provide a place of refuge for them and and we, c- we can of course read that and not ask ourselves Lot what are you doing there what are you doing there Lot why are you there but if we remember from the time in which they had come out of Egypt Lot in his A bit of division that happened there with Abraham when Abraham allows Lot to go and take the choicest of land. Lot goes down into the valley where he says that it's green and it's lush and he pitches his tent toward Sodom. The implication there, of course, is the fact that that we know that then Lot had slowly made his way into the city. It started just looking towards it. And then he got his way a little bit closer, and eventually moved into the city. And when the angels enter into the city, lots there in the gates of the city. That doesn't just mean he's he's sitting there observing the the beautiful gates. And it means that he's a part of of leadership, if you will, in the city. He he has a a prominent position. What it is, we don't exactly know, but but he's involved. Okay, he's and, and so we we do we have to ask ourselves a lot. What what is going on here? But I, I think. Lest we find ourselves, especially today as we consider uh, chapters 20 and 21, lest we find ourselves being too critical of, of Lot or, or Abraham, we need to realize that this is the same pattern that we often face in our own lives. Sin is often a habit, right? We have a habit of sinning. Habits can be difficult to break. There's a process that often happens, and, it, and it's usually gradual. It's not, it, it, Lot didn't just go and, and run into the city and say, boom, I'm going to be a part of Sodom and Gomorrah. It happened over time. Such is the often gradual process in our own lives. We're, we're saved. We're sort of pulled out of the things of the world early on. We may be uh, on fire for the Lord. We're getting rid of everything. Uh, I can remember when I got saved. Uh, it was just, it was radical, right? I mean, it just started to just tear apart everything in my life. One of the big things was the, some of you don't even know what these are. And it's its, it's hard to believe that we can say that, that, that that in these days we don't even use things like compact discs and tapes. Do You know what those are, right? I had bunches of them. You'd drive around, you know, and I had books in my car. You get your book and you're flipping through and you got to change out the CD, you got your tunes, you know? And... uh Man, I, I get rid of all the music, right? I'm just getting rid of all this stuff because it's just like, man, my life has changed. Never again do I want to I don't want to hear this stuff, right? I want to see this stuff. But then over time, yeah. You just start to get a little comfortable, right? Oh, wasn't that cute? I was on fire for the Lord. You start to delve back into things a little bit, you know. I don't I, I was legalistic back then, you know. and but you see, we get complacent, we get comfortable, and you know, we start to make our way back into the world again oftentimes. I think that's where Lot was. And you know what happens, and I shared a little bit of this on, on Sunday, um, as we were taking communion. And the Lord's just I, I think we've been here recently, and in in part sometimes, maybe because that's where the Lord has me, <laughs> right? Um I don't know that there's ever a time I can come and, and, and preach a message where the Lord doesn't have to, to deal with me first, right? And so we've been dealing with a lot of this in our study of, of Genesis, as well as on Sundays, we've been making our way through Matthew in the last several chapters, including this coming Sunday, in Matthew 25, as we finish up the Olivet Discourse. We're dealing with a lot of this, it, it, Pharisaic hearts. Jesus has been over and over again addressing the Pharisees and dealing with what they say versus what they do. And, and uh, you know, the Lord's just been dealing a lot with me just as it pertains to my own sin in my life. The the little sins, you know, that you try to convince yourself these aren't really, this isn't really sin, you know? And, uh, and that's the danger because, as I shared on Sunday, when I minimize my sin, well, then I minimize... His grace. And when I minimize His grace, I minimize His forgiveness. And it's oftentimes when I find people who are truly in love with Jesus. When I run into somebody, man, it's just they, man, they love Jesus. Oh, they're aware of their need for grace. They're aware of how much they've received of His grace, right? And so it's not about dwelling on our sin, but it is about being Aware of it and knowing it, and never getting to that place where we're comfortable, never getting to that place where we begin to minimize it because we can just find ourselves sitting in the gates of the city, fully in the world, and and that's and that's really where we 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 left off and. In, in 19, not that he was still in the gates, of course, he, he, he was pulled out of there. Uh, the angels taking him out. He, he lost part of his family with it, his own wife. She, could, she turned, she looked back, she looked back at the things of the world, looked back with longing at what it was that she was leaving behind. But the, 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 the commandment was, go, don't look back, get out of here. And it's the same commandment that, that exists for us today. To go, to, to get out of the world. Not that we don't minister to the world, but we're not to be a, a part of it in that way. We're not to long for it. Lot tries to make his, his way out, but he stops. He stops in a smaller city. He thinks, you know, maybe I, can, maybe I can just stay here. Maybe I can keep some semblance of this life that I've built. Uh, but the destruction is so significant that he thinks, man, I've, I've got to get out of here too. I've got to get farther away. And so he's then finally obedient to what God had called him to do. And he goes up into the mountains. And, and then at the end of chapter 19, we see this, this terrible incestuous relationship that unfolds between him and his, and his two daughters. And we can't help but look at that and think, here is an individual who was deemed righteous, yet we see all over his life the consequences of sin. And I think that's a big part of what we're going to see here tonight. We're going to see that there are these patterns of sin that re-emerge in our lives. We're going to see one reemerge in Abraham's life. And, and so then we're going to see this pattern of sin, and we're going to see then the consequences of sin. But praise God, we also see His grace and His restoration. And so it's, it, it is an encouraging thing for us to consider, but it also should be something for us to go, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to live that out. I don't want to see my life follow that same pattern. Because, you know, as it says of Lot, Peter writes of Lot in, in his second epistle, in chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, Peter writes: For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and he delivered righteous Lot. Listen, who was oppressed. By the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. I mention that only to say that you know, for a lot, Scripture gives us insight into the fact that, okay, yes, he was deemed righteous, but he was living in a situation where he was being tormented because of, of, of what was going on around him, and he had put himself in that situation. You know, and, and often it's the case, you don't, you don't see the world being tormented. Those who are unsaved, oftentimes one of the greatest faults of the church is expecting unsaved people to act like they're saved. W- with, with great disdain and frustration, we look at the world so often, especially you turn on the news, you look at Washington, right? And you look at all these politicians, you go, ah, oh, why do they act like that? Why do they do these things? And, well, because they're not saved. Not all of them, okay? But they're not saved. Why do we expect them to act like they are? They need Jesus. It's wrong for us to look at people who are not saved and expect that their lives would look any different. The crazy thing is when people who are saved and dwell with the Holy Spirit put themselves in situations where they're surrounded by by decadence, and, and and filth, and, and wickedness, and, and those, you can pull out the believers, you can find the believers really quick who are in sin, who are amongst sin, because they're miserable. And sometimes it's a good thing, it's a good indication that, hey, somebody is, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is within them, because it's like, man, they're miserable, you know, they're just, they're struggling, and it's like, get out, get out from there. But here, as we jump into chapter 20, we find that here comes this pattern. Here comes this pattern of sin. In chapter 20, verse 1, we read, And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Abraham leaves where he was. Abraham had been in the same place up in the mountains overlooking Sodom and Gomorrah, a very peaceful place, a very secluded place, a place where he had been safe from warring enemies for some time. And now he decides to leave. He decides to journey on from there. Why did he set out to travel? We don't know. Perhaps some speculate it was to get away from the events of Sodom and Gomorrah, the city that he formerly had seen that now was, we don't know exactly what it looked like in its state of ruin. Maybe for him it was just, i got to get away from here. Uh, We can give him the benefit of the doubt. Or was it maybe a certain sense of discontentment? Uh, a sense of restlessness. God had made him a promise, but the promise had not yet been fulfilled. Was Abraham suddenly in a place where he was just kind wanting of to, wanting to wander again, looking for something, seeking after something, seeking to find maybe some sort of fulfillment? I don't know. Evaluate your own life and ask yourself, when you find yourself leaving a place that maybe God didn't tell you to leave, why? What was it that prompted you to go? For me, it's often been that discontentment, that seeking after something that I think is going to satisfy. Because what we don't see here is God telling him to go. So yes, speculation perhaps, but we don't hear. At other times, God has said go. It's interesting. You know, originally, God said God said go. Get out from your father's uh, place, from your father's home, and you, and you go. But, but then he didn't. He stopped for a period of time, right? And God had to say, go again, and then finally he went. But here, God, we don't have anything recorded that God said go, but yet he's moving. Why? And I think what we'll see unfold here is that it doesn't seem as if Abraham is seeking God. It doesn't seem as if he is looking to be obedient at this time. It seems to me that his decision to move was not a good one because we see that he very quickly falls back into an old sin pattern. And you see, this is often the case. And here, as is, is, is Abraham was journeying south, oftentimes there's some imagery in there. You you only go down from the the chosen land of Israel. And he's going down into the Philistine land, and and I can remember we grew up in Southwest Michigan, Kalamazoo, Michigan, um, and, and I was I was born and raised. So where I always was, I left only for school, and uh, then we started out in ministry there, at Calvary Chapel, Kalamazoo, and. And eventually, we came to a place where we just we were restless. Now, as I look back on that time, I I don't know that I, I don't know that I can say with 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 uh, absolute confidence because you know the the Lord the Lord works the Lord does things he 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 accomplishes still his his plan and his purpose so you can see God's hand on different things but the fact of the matter is and what I'm kind of trying to say is when we left Kalamazoo. I don't know that I can look back and say that we did it entirely based off of what the Lord was telling us to do, and not in part because of just a discontentment and a restlessness. And what then came was two years of just a wilderness, two years of not being in ministry, two years of falling into some old habits and bad habits and and then after that period of time, after about two years, then God opened up a door. To, to move to South Carolina, and then it was just like, then it was, yes, yes, we know that this is what the Lord wants us to do, and I think for a long time, we kind of looked at it as like, well, you see, God just needed to take us here, and then take us here, and I kind of wonder sometimes, now did, did I take us there? I think I took us there. I don't think, I don't know that the Lord said go. I think I said go, <laughs> and then after a while, the Lord was like, okay, all right, because I did, because I recognized that I just wasn't in a good place. And so began to really seek him again and say, Lord, I don't, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what I'm doing. And, and it's as if the Lord said, OK, OK, here we go. <laughs> Let me show you where I wanted you to go. Different timeline, different place, right? And and so we convince ourselves sometimes of what we're supposed to do, and we and then we maybe can and then we re, we rationalize it, and and we sometimes then find ourselves in places where we ought not to be. But God is faithful. God is faithful. He sticks with us. And so we see here that that Abraham's moving. He's going. Verse two. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife. <laughs> here it is again. She is my sister. Dude, that's crazy, man. Oh, Abraham. She's your wife, bro. Uh, Abraham said of Sarah's wife, she is my sister. Because they're going into a pagan land. Abraham has it in his mind that we should just go ahead and pack up and move to a pagan land, and I'm going to tell everybody you're my sister. I Don't think this is part of God's plan. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. And so you see here, Abraham falls back into previous sin patterns. We we saw this at least within the context of scripture here, 25 years ago, he was doing this. And and he took a butt whooping. I mean, he his his ego, I mean he, when he left Egypt, he wasn't leaving Egypt a a proud man. He he was leaving humbled, which is exactly what needed to happen. And then he did what he what he should do as he got back into the land that God had given him. He went back to the altar and he rejoiced, and he worshiped God, and yet here he is again, doing the same thing again. He falls back into this pattern of sin. And often sin in our lives, we know it's not new. It's not suddenly, well, whoa, hadn't done that before. That's new. Most often it's, man, I did it again. It's a struggle that's there. And so here's Abraham amongst the Gentiles, if you will, a pagan nation, He's got an opportunity to make an impact for the Lord. He's gonna blow it again. And verse three, so so here he comes, he comes in to Gerar, Abimelech comes, he takes Sarah because he's like, well, hey, uh, I've got a harem. She's a lovely lady, she's your sister. Thank you. I'll take her. All of that I know sounds really crazy too, but that's just the way that it was, the way that it was done. Verse three, first two words. Words we love to see in scripture. Underline them, right? Well, you, you underline in your Bible if you want to underline in your Bible. Don't do it based off of me. But God. Those are wonderful words, okay? Whenever we see that in Scripture, that th- praise, but God. Because we see here that God is intervening. So Abraham, in his silliness, in his foolishness, in his pattern of sin, is going down the wrong path, but God. But God came to Abimelech, in a dream by night. So here's this pagan king. God shows up to this king in a dream, and he says to him, Indeed, you are a dead man. That's a bad dream, okay? Because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Abimelech, who doesn't know God, God appears to him in a dream. You're a dead man. That'll wake you up. That'll cause you to lose a night's sleep, right? I mean, think of a dream like that. Now, And and here, let's look at God. Let's look at what's happening right now because this gives us appreciation, should give us an appreciation for who God is. Because here now, God is getting involved in the matter. Because of the foolishness of Abraham, God's getting involved. It's not often we see God show up in this way, particularly at this time. Why? Because at this point, he's working through one man. Abraham's his guy. Abraham's the man that he's chosen, that he's going to work through to establish a nation. Abraham's part of the, he's a key part of the puzzle. He's part of the messianic line. But what's that man doing? He's not doing his job. He's sinning. And so despite his failure, God's getting involved. And so here's what we need to recognize. Praise God that he works out his plans despite our shortcomings. Amen? Amen. That's what we need to recognize. Uh, you know, in a c- couple weeks back in Matthew 24, in our study of Matthew 24, and some of you in life groups, maybe you considered this particular question. When it, when it says that this gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth as long as you guys are obedient and do your jobs? Doesn't say that, does it? No. And so one of the things that we should consider is that. And God has a plan, and his plan and his purposes will be accomplished no matter how foolish we are. Now, that doesn't give us a pass. In our life group, we delved in a little bit to a passage that we considered actually a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday night when we were doing our uh, Love Your Neighbor week from Esther chapter 4, verse 8. When Mordecai comes to Esther and says, Listen, <laughs> hey, there's a job that I think God has for you. That whole passage for such a time as this. But he's saying, but listen. Whether you do it or not, God will deliver his people. You'll just perish, right? So here's the thing. God is consistently inviting us into his work. He's allowing us to be a part of the things that he's doing. Rest assured, God is always at work, okay? Right now, in this very moment, God is at work. When you leave this place, God is at work. When you wake up tomorrow morning, God is at work. While you're sleeping, God is at work. He is always always at work. Whether you're being obedient or not, he's at work. But in his grace and in his goodness, he says, church, I have created you to get involved in this work. Right? He doesn't create missions for the church. He has created the church for the mission. Right? And so he says, you get to be involved. I'm inviting you. And as you get involved and as you walk in obedience and as you abide in me, I will continue to sanctify you and change you and shape you and mold you and make you more into the individual that I've created you to be. And I've gifted you and I'm equipping you and everything that, you're gonna, that you do is going to be for my glory. Holy smokes, that we get to be a part of those types of things. That's wonderful, right? But when we screw up, when we fail, When we have our missteps, we can be confident that God has not stopped working, that we haven't suddenly screwed up his plan. Now verse 4, But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And she, even she herself, said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Abimelech here is saying, I didn't do it, right? I didn't do it. <laughs> right? I, I didn't do it. I, he, he tricked me, right? And, and so as far as pagans are concerned, this guy was a good guy, okay? In that here, he, he didn't think he'd done anything wrong. He was operating sort of within an accepted uh, sort of process of the day. It was Abraham who had deceived. In verse 6, And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Hmm. That's interesting. What we see here is God's protective power at work. Okay? Some people debate how this plays out still today. <clears> hmm. <throat> I believe that God is still very capable of such work today. Uh, this one ought to also encourage us. <clears throat> Proverbs Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. God, <laughs> God is the one who is on the throne over all things. Kings, princes, rulers, politicians, presidents, the president of the United States of America, who people say is the most powerful man in the world, not so fast, right? God is, okay? Can God keep people from sinning? Well, it says here that he did. I also withheld you from sinning against me. Can God keep people from sinning still today in that he can intervene? Yes, absolutely. How does he do that in your life? Can God keep you from sinning today? If you're a believer, what do you have? Holy Spirit with you, drawing you under repentance, in you at the day of salvation, sealing you, at salvation, coming upon you, equipping you. What does the Holy Spirit do in the life of a believer? Brings conviction, right? Communicates to you. You know, I'm sinning, I'm going to sin. What's happening? Conviction, right? We then oftentimes... Quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. Shut up, I don't want to hear that. We grieve the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do it anyhow. Right? Yes, God absolutely intervenes in the life of a believer. That's what conviction is. Okay? And 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 here, yes, it's pretty amazing the way that, that 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 we see this communicated here because this is this is a pagan king. But God has, God has worked. He's come to him in a dream. He has worked out different circumstances such that, uh, you know, some people say that Abimelech was just super tired. And so, yeah, he, here he brings this woman into his harem, but he's just had a long day. And so he says, hey, whatever, there she is, I'm going to bed. Right? God is all-powerful. God is sovereign. God knows all things possible and actual. We can't take that power away from him. How it all works out day to day isn't entirely clear to us, but God is at work. Why is he at work, particularly in this situation? Well, what if Abimelech had slept with Sarah? What, what then of the Messianic line, right? Because what we're going to see, and it's not immediately after this, there's actually some time that goes by, but, 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 but what if in time people said, well, wait a second, she was also with King of Abimelech, a pagan king, of the Philistines. What what might then happen as it pertains to the genealogy of Jesus Christ? And so you see, God, once again, is at work accomplishing His plans and His purposes. He uses us, but He does not need us. It is a work of grace, and it is for our benefit. Now, God says, verse 7, "...now therefore restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet." And he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So here this death threat now comes again. I mean, he's been told in the dream, You're a dead man, and if you don't do this, you're going to die. So Abimelech's taking this seriously, but I can't help but think he's also going, This guy's your prophet, but he's lying. Now, I don't think God is, is, is embarrassed necessarily to introduce Abraham this way, but God's doing Abraham's job here. This is the first time, by the way, the word prophet's used in the Bible. And so uh, here he's he's declaring what Abraham is. But here's what I think is encouraging to us. Because we look at this, I look at this, I'll just say for me, I look at this and I say, boy, a- a- as one who has always been motivated by a fear of failure, that when failure happens, I think, eh, I'm done. That's it. Washed up. Nobody wants me anymore. Nobody likes me anymore. Just fire me now. Right? But what, what, but what does God do here? He uses him. He doesn't say, well, he was my prophet, but I'm having second thoughts. Right? Or he's actually, you know, he's, uh, I'm, I'm bumping him back, you know, a few notches now. I'm raising up another guy. We'll see what we do with Abraham in the future. Right? He's in a slump right now. Maybe he won't make it to next season. No, he, he says, this man's a prophet. He uses him anyway. And for any of you that have ever thought that the Lord could not use you because of your failures, please hear me clearly. It doesn't mean that there's not consequences to our sin. We'll see that here shortly. But God is bigger than those things. Okay? So Abimelech, he rises early in the morning, called all his servants, told all these things in their hearing, and the men were very much afraid. <laughs> he says, hey, So here's what happened last night. This really powerful God showed up and said, you're a dead man. Uh, And here's what we got to do. Verse 9, And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you? That you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin. You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? Translation, What were you thinking? Now, isn't it humbling when the unsaved world looks at a believer and says, What are you doing? What's wrong with you? How unfortunate when the unrighteous appear more righteous. Hear the rebuke of a pagan king toward a man of God. Now, what we know here is that this is very similar to what's been experienced before. You can go ahead and take Abimelech out and put Pharaoh in. Abraham's been here before. And what we're going to see here shortly is that it seems as if Abraham has sort of made a pattern, once again, out of this particular sin. And what we need to understand, though God is gracious, though he has covered our sins, though he is is faithful and just to forgive us, Numbers chapter 32, verse 23 says, But if you do not do so, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Guys, listen. I believe it is absolutely a principle in Scripture that if we continue in habitual, unrepentant sin, thinking that we can hide it, thinking that we can conceal it, that it will be found out. It will be. And it is incumbent upon us as believers to be serious about evaluating our lives and allowing the Lord to reveal, if necessary, things in our life that are sin, that we've not been dealing with, and or to recognize things that we know is sin, that we know we've been engaging in, and that we've thought, hey, I'm just going to continue to get away with this. Because rest assured, you're playing with fire. You're playing with fire. And for Abraham... His sin found him out. Now please understand, once again, it doesn't mean that God is not gracious, that he's not merciful, but it will be found out and there will be consequences to it. Go back to this past Sunday, Pastor Dave Chafee and the message on repentance, confession. That's why it's so important, right? And so what is it that you're dealing with? For any one of us here tonight, those that are watching online, what are the temptations in your life? Are you victorious with those temptations, have you allowed other people to enter in? I don't. I don't stand before you tonight as one who says, "Hey, I've got all this licked and I've got it all figured out and I'm good to go." No, I know what things in my life are temptations. I know what things I struggle with. I know what things I regularly bring before the Lord and am and am honest with Him about. Lord, this is this is how I feel. This is what I desire. This is what my flesh is longing for. And look at Abraham here. Look at this. Maybe this, maybe this, maybe you'll find yourself relating. Because the king says, And what have you done? And Abraham said, because I, because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. And so you see here, Abraham was not able to listen, Abraham was not able to say to the king in this moment, This is what the Lord told me to do. I prayed, I sought the Lord, and this is the direction I received. He was not able to say, This is what the word of God says. He was, not, he was not able to say with confidence anything regarding what the Lord or how the Lord had directed him. What he said was, well, I well, thought. Well, you see, <laughs> so here's the thing, right? Here's the situation. Now, here's a, here, I don't mean to be too hard on Abraham here because I'm, I'm guilty of this too. But that's the point. That's what we have to recognize here in the life of Abraham is what Scripture tells us. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is what? Destruction. Right? There's a way that often seems right to us, and we try and rationalize it. We try and convince ourselves of it, whether it's the minimizing of sin, whether it's just saying, oh, this, this has to be what he wants from me. Uh, this is the, the, clearly, God wants to bless me, or he wants to do these things in my life. We, we find our way to, to rationalize all these things in order to do the things that we want to do, to pursue the things that we want to have without actually going, Lord, do you want me to do this? And then seeking Him in prayer, seeking Him in His Word, and allowing Him to confirm it. Using, uh, leveraging your brothers and sisters in Christ to say, would you, would you pray for me about this? Would you, would you enter into fasting and praying over this issue with me? Because I need to know. I need to hear rightly from the Lord. I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to be in sin. And so here, he thinks because this was a pagan place, there's no fear of God, right? That, that, that well, I have to do this Again, I don't know this for sure, but Scripture doesn't tell us. So, granted, I understand it's an argument from silence. But God didn't—it doesn't seem God told him to go, but he went anyways. It doesn't seem like God told him to hey go into pagan territory, but he went anyways. And then as he goes in, he figures, well, I got to do this. This is what's going to be required. Why? Because you were because you were restless, because you were discontented, because you were just trying to find something. And the amazing thing about it is, and guys, this is, you know, despite the, the fact that I have absolutely said, hey, we're called to come out of the world, it doesn't mean that we're not called to engage the world. And oftentimes I find that, I have, that as I go to people who are unsaved, that they are incredibly receptive and they are warm and they are, they, they are, they are willing to receive what it is that we have to share with them. And so you see what what Abraham absolutely screwed up here was a was a tremendously awesome evangelistic opportunity. He was a he was a guy who could have gone out on mission, entered into another culture and with love and trusting the Lord to care for him and to provide for him could have could have shown Abimelech and others what it means to follow the one true God of Israel. But he went in thinking, "Ah, bad people." Nope. And so i got to do what i got to do to protect myself. Yeah, because God can't do that for you, right? And so here he says, I'm going into a place, and the fear of God is not in these people, but the fact of the matter is, the fear of God was not in Abraham. Had he feared God, he would have gone in saying, Lord, you'll take care of me. You'll provide for me. You'll protect me, right? Because look at this, verse 12. But indeed, she is truly my sister, right? I mean, she's... Here's the thing. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife, and so you see she's my sister. I didn't really lie to you, right? What's that called? Justifying your sin. What's the saying? A half-truth is a whole lie, right? And I don't know what's going on with Abraham here, other than I'm kind of like, yep, I think I've been there. I didn't call my wife my sister. But it came to pass, verse 13, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, "This is your kindness that you should do for me in every place wherever we go. Save me, he is my brother." Two things there. One, this word "wander" is an interesting word. It's not a good word. In Scripture, this word is only used in negative connotations. Um, Barnhouse writes this. There is a terrible meaning in this verb wander which Abraham uses. The Hebrew word occurs exactly 50 times in Scripture, never in a good sense. It is used of animals going astray, of a drunken man reeling or staggering, of sinful seduction, of a prophet's lies causing the people to err, of the path of a lying heart. Six other words are translated wander, any one of which Abraham might have used, but he used the worst word available. It seems to me that Abraham has found himself in just a place of bitterness. Once again, I recognize this may be speculation, but experiencing some of this in my own life, we can find ourselves in a place where we say, Lord, you said you were going to do this. You told me, I thought I, I thought I heard you say that you were going to do this, Lord. I thought I, I thought I rightly understood this promise. But Lord, it hasn't happened. And I'm unhappy. And I, and I want to see this happen. And so I'm going to set out. And I'm going to do it in my own strength. And I'm going to do it of my own accord and along the way i'm going to justify my sin i'm going to minimize my sin i'm going to suggest that i'm just doing what i'm supposed to be doing because you know what god told me he was going to do this thing and he hasn't done it maybe that's just me but i know i've found myself in that place I'm trying to tell everybody the whole time no no you know god's god's faithful but inside going man lord what what of this the other thing here what abraham confesses is from the time that god called him he had sarah commit wherever we go this is what you say right so this it appears wasn't just an egypt thing but this was a this is what we do this is how this is going to go right numbers 3223 your sin will find you out chances are time had passed from egypt he'd continued to kind of approach things this way maybe at first he was thinking man we're not going to do that again you know he settled into an area for quite a while but now he's out on the move again Seeking after the things of the flesh, perhaps again. Saying, well, we we maybe need to bring this back into play. Maybe this was a good strategy, right? Then verse 14, Abimelech took sheep, oxen and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham and he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, see, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Now, this can seem interesting, right? Is is all of a sudden Abimelech just saying, man, I like this this guy. I'm going to bless him. Oh, look what he says in verse 16. Then to Sarah, he says, behold, look, (laughs) I have given your husband. Nope. Abimelech, I think, I I think this is just like a sweet roast on the part of Abimelech. (laughs) I mean, honestly, he looks at Sarah and he says, behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. He's saying here, look, Sarah, you're good to go. This isn't your fault. I don't know what's wrong with your husband, but this isn't your fault. Thus she was rebuked, and that essentially means that she was vindicated. She was um, cleared. And so here's the thing. This was not a win. This was not a win that he was giving him these things. What's happening here is Abimelech, because of his fear of God, is being obedient to what God has said, and said, look, I'm going to do these things because I want to just clear everything up here. He's likely very frustrated with abraham at this moment and and i can't help but think in this moment so what does abraham do abraham's over here ashamed no doubt thinking man he just like he's saying sarah you're good you're clear he's giving me this stuff abraham's not rejecting these things there was a time when abraham rejected offerings from a pagan king right remember that When he was on his way back from rescuing Lot and the king of Sodom comes out and because he desires to be able to partner up with Abraham and to have what what Abraham has, he says, hey, look, you give me the people and I'll give you all these possessions. And what does Abraham do? No way. I know who I belong to. In that moment, Abraham was able to take the high ground and reject an offering from a pagan king. But in this moment, because of, a, because of a pattern of sin, because of willful disobedience, because of a blown testimony, he's got to just step back, head hung low, and say, okay, this guy's going to make it right. His fear of God that I doubted is, is, is triumphing in this situation. So Abraham, but now here's the thing god had told abimelech what abraham needed to do and so in verse 17 so abraham prayed to god and god healed abimelech his wife and his female servants then they bore children for the lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of abimelech because of sarah abraham's wife and so in a wonderful opportunity to try and uh end this situation on a positive note in a in a in a demonstration of grace on the part of God, Abraham was able to appeal to God on Abimelech's behalf. Now, here's the thing. For us, Abraham, as we look at this, we might be inclined to think, yeah, he, he blew it, right? I mean, think of our culture today. Is there anything... Think, Have you heard the term cancel culture, right? Familiar with that lately? Is there anything in that concept that speaks of grace and reconciliation and redemption and forgiveness? No. I mean, we, it is, and listen, I don't mean, this is not intended to be a disparaging statement, okay? But I've told some people this. In the last couple of months, there's been four things, I think, four, that Bill Maher, four comments that Bill Maher has made. If you don't know Bill Maher, don't spend too much time looking it up. Four things that he said that I'm like, I agree with that. This is weird, right? This is really strange right now that I find myself agreeing with comments by this guy. Why? Because he's saying, watch out, people. Careful what you ask for, right? Cancel culture is coming for everybody, (laughs) right? It's no longer like a left versus right thing. It's like, man, this is getting out of hand, right? I say all that to say, our culture looks at this today and says, dude, you're done. You're done. You're over. Forget about it. Find something else to do, man. You're no longer a prophet, right? But here, this is what we've got to see. Not only did God declare Abraham's a prophet. You do this and he'll pray for you. But here he gets the opportunity, even in the midst of all this, to be used by God for God's glory. Guys, that's an incredible demonstration of God's grace that we cannot miss. And we don't have enough time to go into it tonight. I thought we'd tackle two chapters, but such is life. But here at the beginning, let's just consider for a moment the beginning then of of chapter 21. Because chapter 20, this, this miserable failure, sin that's uncovered, ends with Abraham's opportunity to pray for a pagan king. And then it's immediately followed up by, in chapter 21, verse 1, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. Look, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. In the very next chapter, the very next verse, God fulfills an unconditional promise in the exact way and at the exact time that he said he would. Now, what we'll find next week as we continue to unfold is that, hey, there's consequences For Abraham's sin. As Isaac is born, Ishmael doesn't like it. Ishmael's cast out. There's some drama that goes on with that right there. And and so Abraham is reminded once again of times when he took matters into his own hands. But that did not disqualify Abraham from the role that God had called him to. Nor did it change whether or not God would fulfill the promise. Sometimes in Scripture there are conditional things. We've dealt with that already in Genesis. Certain things are conditional. Some things require our obedience for God to do them, and in our disobedience is just we're not going to experience what God said he's going to do. Other things, unconditional. God says no matter what. And so we've got to be encouraged by that here tonight. We've got to be encouraged tonight as we look at a man who was sinful, a man who made mistakes, but one who God said still, this is my man. This is my man. I'm going to continue to use him. I'm going to continue to bless him. I'm going to be faithful to what I said I was going to do. And perhaps some of you need to hear that tonight. Maybe some of you feel like, you know, what I I screwed it up. I missed the opportunity. God's done with me now. Or maybe no, maybe God hasn't left me, but I just I just don't get to do these other things that I think that he called me to do. Scripture tells us, I think it's in Romans. Paul writes in Romans that the The gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable, right? Yeah, we can screw some things up. We can make some mistakes. But don't you ever think that you are bigger than God, He's faithful. He's faithful to do what he says he's going to do. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much once again, Lord, for our time together here this evening. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the examples in Scripture. Lord, you didn't need to put this in your word. Yet, Lord, you continually, over and over again, show us messed up people. People who make mistakes. People who screw up. You don't show us a bunch of perfect people. And that doesn't give us an excuse, Lord, but it does give us hope. And we thank you for that. That in and of itself, Lord, is another demonstration of your grace towards us. Unmerited favor, Lord. You don't need to do any of these things. Yet, Lord, not only have you, have you from the beginning of time, Lord, put into place a plan of salvation. You've accomplished that plan of salvation. You're continuing, Lord, to work out your plan. You've, you've saved us, Lord. You've redeemed us. You use us, Lord. You equip us. You, you change us. You transfer you do All these things you do in our lives, but yet, Lord, you also encourage us through the word that you've given us. You give us examples, Lord. You show us people who you make clear in Scripture that you love, even when they've messed up. And so, Lord, I pray for each of us tonight, Lord. We would be mindful of your goodness, of your grace, of your mercy. That, Lord, it would inspire us to pursue you with even greater fervor and intensity. But, Lord, also that we would not allow the enemy to speak lies into our lives that are contrary to Scripture. When the enemy seeks to tell us that you're done with us, that we've gone too far, that we've screwed too many things up, that we just can't possibly be used by you, that you'd remind us, Lord, of how great you are, how great your love is towards us. How forgiving you are. How merciful you are. How you, Lord, are continuing to reconcile all things unto yourself. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Lord, I pray for each of these here tonight, Lord, as they follow after you. Lord, go before us, Lord Jesus, as our Good Shepherd lead and guide us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week. So make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you would like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.